You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music tech and music innovation. And we have a returning guest. It's been a little while. It might have been an entire pandemic or close to it. Super excited to have back on the show Fabrice Sargent, the managing partner of Bands in Town, the uh, ubiquitous concert discovery artist engagement with fan platform. Welcome to the show, Fabrice. Hi, Dimitri. I'm so happy to be back. Me too. And I'm glad we're at the tail end of whatever just happened over the last couple of years. Um, but I have to say, Bands in Town was one of the fastest adapters to COVID and its impact on live music. I mean, we were working together on some stuff at the time, and I was like, I, I couldn't believe how quickly you you made some adjustments and, and leaned in and engaged with what were the possibilities in a moment when everyone else was still like, where are we? What's happening? Tell us about your path during the pandemic. Things things you tried, things that worked for the moment, but maybe are now passe. You tried it out, it, it worked or it didn't, whatever. And things that worked and changed how you operate forevermore. Well, what, what worked is that we moved fast indeed. And it was... Uh... We were moved by the uh, fear that we had for the artists. Uh, as you know, artists make about 80% of their revenue on tour. No tour meant no revenue, no uh, creative contact with the fans. And so a very hard period, you know, dark period that was coming up. So on March 10th, we decided to um, launch a new, uh, take a few initiatives to pioneer live stream. On March 25th, we announced a big uh, initiative on Twitch, uh, launching our own Twitch channel. And we also opened our platforms to list uh, live streams to help artists stay in touch with their fans. It really worked. Um, it worked for the artists first, because I think a lot of them discovered a new creative uh, territory. <laughs> uh, they stayed in touch with their fans and they generated some revenues by collecting donations and stuff. It worked for us because we uh, were able to stay relevant for our fans. We promoted uh, over 100,000 live streams, which, and we produced ourselves 1,400 shows um, during that pandemic at a time when obviously artists were not offered to jump on stage too often. Most of the time uh, when they were live streaming on Benzintown Live and then Benzintown Plus, our subscription channel, it was the first time that they had the chance to go back on stage and to play. So it was, it's also created a very strong bond with these teams, with the management. But we stayed relevant with, to our fans as well. Our fans got entertained and we didn't lose any engagement. So we could have lost 100% of our traffic 100% of our, I mean, fans may have deleted the app. None of that happened, quite the opposite, actually. Um, so that was another big achievement, and that really worked. Hmm. Wow. And and so are there things that you picked up on during that moment in time when we were all isolated that continue into now? Oh, yes. So as a team, for example, I want to mention that because this has been an incredible human adventure, first and foremost. <laughs> You can think of the morale of the team and the perception of the market when this all happened about Benz in town. Um, we were uh, privileged to have built a company that is 
very robust and has a diversified business model, which actually helped us transition through this uh, period of time. But still, uh, the morale was, uh, it was very, we were, as a company, we have, we've been very challenged. So the first thing we did was to start um, getting all together every Friday on Zoom. Um, and uh, some, of course, obviously, we're not the only ones, uh, but we, we, we tried to not only uh, share our concerns, celebrate birthday, um, sometimes do dance party on Zoom. <laughs> it sounds weird, uh, but that was still the case. And most importantly, we also got guests, uh, mm. artists, managers, um, you know, industry players, uh, which came uh, and joined us in this uh, journey. Hmm. And showed, and and we all shared, and we all felt that we were all, you know, equal in confronting this uh, terrible situation, uh, which greatly helped not only improve the understanding of the team uh, about the market, its dynamic, its players and stuff, which I I find super important. Um, anybody can contribute within a team, but also it helped, um, you know, a better forecast the way the industry. Uh, will uh, grow and and hopefully expand beyond the, the pandemic. So so that as a team we still continue on a monthly basis to uh, hold these uh, town halls. Um, last week we had a guest uh, from Nederlander actually as a promoter, and we continue to to grow as a group all together. Um, we also uh, obviously pioneered and pushed very, very hard to promote live streams. Um, I know this, uh, obviously, um, if at the level of interest diminished at the level of the fans greatly. I mean, we let's face it, the number of people watching live stream today is much, low, much lower than during the pandemic. But what it had cracked is the code to uh, entertain fans online, which was really not the case before the pandemic. Frankly, you would have never got me watching a live stream hmm. before the pandemic. Um, so and not, not only me, but we we got 85% of our fans watching at least one live stream per month hmm. um, and saying that they loved it. So for that reason, I think it's um, and we, so we kept our own live stream platform. We developed it, we kept it. And now we are live streaming shows to uh, promote emerging artists through our big bag program. Great. That's cool. I mean, it's really interesting to hear about how you tied the experience we're all going through with your team for team development and, and support. The guest thing is super interesting because it's the kind of thing that you traditionally wouldn't, one might not have thought to do. Like, let's bring in guests uh, into, into the, into the office as often necessarily, it would take like a special event, but the, the removing the friction of somebody actually having to come into the office alone, it's uh, kind of lined up with this idea that everyone was physically isolated. And so emotionally, mentally, culturally, they're isolated to bring in, you could, you know, as some business, great business books say, go out and walk the factory floor or go out to the retailer market and see, see it, touch it, look at the end caps, all that kind of stuff. You couldn't do that. And so all of a sudden, uh, you have this opportunity, the removed friction of, of live stream, Zoom collaboration type thing, along with a, an increased need for it. And then as a result, well, you experience it and understand something about the live stream experience for your concerts and artists too. Yes. <clears throat> in fact, what you're saying is very true. 
we actually did stuff, as I said, that we would not have done before or we would have found foolish. Um, but even even these town halls, we, we, we had been using, you know, Zoom way before the pandemic. Uh, it was not a new thing for like, for Benzintown because we we um, have three uh, main offices. Uh, one was in New York, uh, Montreal, San Diego, and then we have an office in London, Paris, Berlin, and Tokyo. So it, this this uh, situation of being remote from each other, and you know, it, we only sixty five people, so it's it's not like um, it, it it has always been the case. We used we did try to uh, do town halls. Um, but, you know, at the office, town halls, if you, if you mix different location uh, within the same Zoom, let's say, but with most people sitting around the table in three different offices, it creates a very weird vibe. It's yeah. really not <clears throat> pleasant. People are not focused. They don't share with the other locations. Feels like almost mandatory. It was hopeful to the point that we stopped. In fact, I was traveling from one office to the other <laughs> to meet with the people, but we stopped trying to bring them within the same Zoom experience this way. And through the pandemic, we, we realized that everyone sitting in front of a computer was a much better format. And so that's what we kept. Even now that the office reopened, um, when we do our town hall, uh, it is not having, I mean, people are not sitting in the meeting rooms they are sitting on their desk in front of a computer, which creates a different type of vibe and communication, enables them to ask questions to the guests. So that that learning is very intuitive and it's all about UX in a way. Yeah, it's user products. experience and also, yeah, just putting your feet but into the shoes of, of the audience. This way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of have to adapt. I mean, in, in some ways you're adapting to the technology, which seems a little bit backwards, but the technology was required. <laughs> and as a result, you kind of have to calibrate on both sides of the equation. Right. Yeah. Yes. So um, to move to fast forward to now, we're getting lots of reports that live music and events are coming sh back stronger than ever. There's tons of, of live shows, lots of tickets available. <laughs> some, some controversy about whether all the tickets are getting sold or not, if it's coming back too strong. But is it true? Is, is live music coming back stronger? Is, I mean, you have such a vantage point, like maybe few other entities uh, or leaders in the, in the music industry, because you see across multiple ticketing platforms, multiple venues, multiple genres, multiple regions, and so forth. Is this just a market correction of concert demand after a long hiatus? Or are you expecting a long-term return and strong live market for several years, or maybe a little bit of a yo-yo effect? What's happening on the, on the macro economic? economic view of live music. Yes, and thank you for sharing. Um, we indeed have a very unique uh, viewpoint. Uh, it's global, it's cross promoter, cross ticketing companies, pretty much all artists. So there's, there's a lot of learnings there. Um, yes, there's an unprecedented level of demand met by an unprecedented level of offer. Um, now it's varies per geography and behaviors also are slightly different. So let me explain. In Europe right now, you have about 30% more shows available, upcoming shows available to the to the fans than um, what they had in 2019. So prior to the pandemic, I'm on purpose, um, not talking about 2020. Right. Because it was Nothing happened. Messed up <laughs> at this time of year. So now in um, the US, we just caught up. So 
we but we were trending slightly at a level of 10% less shows than in 2019. So that's, uh, but um, the, the behavior of the fans is very different. So in the US, they are buying uh, tickets um, and expensive tickets, more expensive tickets than they used to. They are eagerly buying tickets. So they, there's a level of trust um, in the in the US, which is much, much greater than it is in Europe, where mm. the shows are not selling out uh, as fast as uh, they are in the US. Now, not all shows sell out. And that's also another learning. Obviously, it's not a controversy. I think that there is a reality. Um, people, because there are more shows and more artists on tour, um, especially in certain markets, because my average is not necessarily giving a, like a, a, a precise picture of each market. So there are more shows, there's more competition. And yes, there are certain markets um, on which the smaller artists have more trouble selling out mm. tickets. Mm. And there are also secondary markets, which are way more difficult to sell out than primary markets. When I say primary and secondary, I mean the main cities versus secondary cities. And I don't want to drop names to <laughs> offend anybody, <laughs> but let's say the most important cities are definitely easier to sell than, than less, um, uh, you know, like top markets. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and, and do you think this will be a long-term, so this increase 30% in Europe, ticket sales of bigger artists in the U S and just overall, a lot of concerts getting, getting put on sale. Do you think this will be going on? I mean, there was this talk for a minute when this first, when the bookings first started to return and it was hard to tell, was this hype from the ticketing companies or the promotion companies that oh, we're about to see a renaissance of live music. It's going to be bigger and better than ever, which, you know, might help to increase some confidence in buying some tickets at that moment. But, but economically, when you look at it from that perspective, is that, is it going to be bigger than ever or are we going to see a mix? Oh, this year is going to be bigger. Is going to be bigger than ever. Uh, it is already so. <clears throat> in the first quarter, we helped move twice more tickets than we did in 2019 for the same period of time. So there's definitely things that you know talk. Um, it as I said, it's it's a mix of uh, quantity. Uh, you know, the price levels definitely increased anyway. <laughs> so there's there's a there's number of things which are pretty significant. Mm. Um, is it going to continue? I think so. I mean, put aside, obviously, everything being equal, right? Because we have so many challenges right now on the political side and international side, unfortunately, that uh, I don't want to, I mean, I have to, to, to talk about things being equal. There, 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 yes, there's a good reason to believe that um, the trends will be um, strong and, and 2023 will be very strong too. Because, um, well, first of all, not all artists have been able to go on tour. Some got locked out of the of the market just because they didn't announce a tour early enough, or they did not, um, and they didn't find the right venues and they couldn't book the places they wanted to. So they had some artists had to do a leg here and then plan the next leg next year, right? So there's definitely a good reason to believe that 2023 will still continue to benefit from a content point of view from the backlog of uh, you know the pandemic uh, situation that the pandemic situation has created so for that re for that reason 
2023 uh, looks super solid, in my opinion. Now, talk about the consumer demand. Um, it's I feel that concert is a little bit counter cyclical. So even if we went into a recession, what we saw in previous years was that um, um, people are, are willing to keep spending even at time when they are challenged economically, hmm. uh, because that's one of those relatively uh, cheap spend. I mean, it's not cheap to go to concert anymore, but still it's affordable versus other type of, you know, vacation and, and you know, more expensive entertainment. So it's counter cyclical. So even if we had to hit recession by the end of this year or next year and also the economy slow down, I, I can see that it may not hit that much, uh, the, the, the market. And if there's the one thing that we really learned through the pandemic, and I'm sure all listeners and you and me would agree on that, is that uh, concert and live music is definitely one of the last tribal experience. And we're missing it so much. And I had been saying this, of course, prior to the pandemic. I remember that. <laughs> yes, you can testify. <laughs> But, and, and, you know, if, if anything, I, I, you know, this pandemic proved my case, I am sorry, because I wish it would have never done or been the case, but yes, the pandemic told everybody that we, we need these moments of communion. We need this moment of feeling alive. You know, for me, being a fan is being alive, period. Hmm. And I, I think everybody understood that very much, very strongly. You know, as you were talking about the affordability of a concert and then saying, well, it's expensive, but it's not as expensive as other things. It made me think it's almost like a one night vacation. It's a one night escape, you know, and maybe I'm saying that in a post pandemic world where we need a moment. We just need a moment to transform and, and, and transport ourselves somewhere else as well. So yes. there's the tribal experience. And then there's also just sort of like, I need a, 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 something that my whole body can experience, you know, and take me away. Exactly. The, everybody felt that regardless of how old you are, um, you know, level of income, uh, th well, that's, you know, when we say that concert appeal to everybody, it's very true. You don't need to be um, particularly either, you know, have educated or not educated, whatever. Everybody understands, feels it. That's what I call it tribal. It is a human experience. But that's also what's so beautiful about it, because when it brings us together in the mush pit, we there's no income levels anymore. There's no gender. There's no race. There's nothing. We're just humans cheering for the same artist. We're just here to respect the act and and essentially have fun together. But you know, and this experience is is what's so 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 unique. And I think that people feel it because there are not so many instances when you truly, in a way, uh, forget. Uh, those barriers and, and, and you really truly admit that all humans are equal uh, to a degree that is, you know, that, that yes, you can share some germs and be close in the mosh pit. Really, really great takeaways from such a, a, a crazy experience we've had the past couple of years in this current context. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, Fabrice, uh, let's talk about bands in town. Yes, with pleasure. Does your company belong at the center of the conversation about music, tech, and innovation? Listen, you should consider sponsoring the Music Tectonics Conference. It takes place in person October 25th through the 27th, 2022, 
in the music tech hub of Los Angeles. Top tier sponsorships are selling fast, but we still have a spot for you, whether your business is a hungry startup or an industry leader already. Every sponsorship level comes with an exhibitor booth at the Lowe's Santa Monica Beach Hotel on October 26th, the main conference hub for keynotes and panels. Your company will be at this epicenter of music, tech, and innovation throughout the event. That's just one perk of being a sponsor at Music Tectonics. You could be a guest on this podcast or even play a role in conference programming. Interested? Let's talk. Go to musictectonics.com to start the conversation with our contact form. And now, back to the show. Okay, we are back. And uh, we, uh, we talked a lot about kind of like the learnings from the pandemic experience in the live industry, but we haven't really talked that much about Bansontown yet, the company that you run. What are emerging features, offerings, partnerships that uh, the industry should know about? Well, um, there's a lot of activity uh, since the pandemic ended. Uh, and um, indeed, there's definitely more interest for live music than there was for two years. Um, we announced um, a number of uh, integrations. One was with this uh, link, link in bio company called Linktree, which you know, enables artists to really connect essentially their Benzintown account and their Linktree account and uh, display tour dates uh, and, and facilitate the, t- the sales of tickets right from these uh, link in bio applications. Um, and and it's it's an incredible company. They they're very pro artist. I think actually uh, they're very um, you know very very uh, focused on helping all artists and not only the artists but also other type of creators. But uh, I like the way they approach the market by being very uh, generous hmm. to to the artist community. That's cool. Um, and that we also uh, announced a that you know if artists list their tour dates on Benzintown, they're going to get them surfaced on um, within the Shazam ecosystem. And, you know, that's really cool. If you Shazam a song, uh, usually it returns the name of the song and the link to the DSP or to Apple Music generally, or the DSP that you're using. Uh, but now you will also uh, get the closest um, tour dates. That you offer to buy a ticket for the, for the show. Uh, if there's a show happening uh, near where you leave. I, so, I, Fabrice, I love how those two examples, they're really different applications because Shazam obviously is, is using this listening technology to surface the song, but then in the process of giving the user what they quote, what they want from, from listening by saying, oh, well, who is this? It's concert discovery right within that experience. Then they don't have to go off to some other service to find out where the concerts are. But then the flip side with the Linktree example, it's a similar concert discovery thing. It's like syndicated concert information at the artist level. It makes it easier for the artist. I'm assuming that's who's using Linktree in this case, um, mm-hmm. having giving them an, kind of like a widget or an opportunity to purchase tickets without having to go any further than, than the, the splash page that Linktree has to offer. And so they're really very different workflows or listener flows or discovery flows, but it's that syndication that bands in town is, 
just nailed so perfectly and interestingly in so many different ways over the years. And it's cool to see you continuing, you know, one of the things those link um, aggregation services, I guess you could call them, are doing that's interesting is, you know, music is in so many different places. People might want to go to different places to listen to the music or read the bio and, and so forth. And it's like pulling it all back together. And it's so interesting to think about how Bands in Town has kind of like continued to syndicate concerts everywhere people are. Yeah, well, we are on a mission to help the artists, right? And to help artists grow a sustainable future, that's what I called. Mm. So surfacing toilets in different ecosystem is absolutely core to this mission. There's nothing that, I mean, everybody can understand that. Obviously, we like when it's being surfaced uh, in the context of a great um, use case. Uh, like, for example, we, we do have an agreement with Alexa and Amazon's Alexa, and that's cool too, because you can ask Alexa who's playing tonight and Alexa uh, should be able to answer this question using our, our informations. Uh, it, we, we also try to help artists save time. So if they list their tour dates on Benz in town, they need to know that essentially it's a one-stop shop. They do it once, we take care of the rest. That's, that's another, and we do have agreements, I mean, with other platforms um, that are um, taking advantage of it. So. That's, you know, it's, we're trying to expand this uh, type of uh, agreements just because uh, we feel that it really helps artists being discovered. Yeah, awesome. You know what? I want to ask you about one other thing that I think got launched very recently, which is the fan management suite. I haven't really dug into what that is. Can you explain it to me? Sure. So the, the, the um, Town for Artists platform historically had been serving the artists by helping them list their tour dates. We just uh, discussed it. Uh, and um, more recently, over the last um, few years, we, we introduced this idea of being able to post um, a short message to the fans. Um, and we guaranteed that this message, um, will, these messages are getting displayed within the app. Um, fans get push notifications. And also fans receive emails uh, with the content of that message. Uh, we realized we got really um, lots of uh, traction with this new feature. It was a few years ago. Um, and we realized how important the direct communication between the artist and the fans is. Um, and during the pandemic, we expanded this functionality. Uh, we improved it because we thought that during the pandemic, obviously, it was key to uh, give to the artist, you know, the greatest opportunity to stay in touch with their fans, right? And to publish their music, release their music, you know, using the Benzington messaging system, they can promote anything. They can promote merch, they can promote tour, they can promote music. That being said, we can also realize that uh, such artists, even though we grant them access to their followers and we let them message these followers through our platform, these artists may also want to build their own opt-ins and their own first-party data. Um, and we, we think this is, there's no, frankly, there's no sustainable future for artists which don't own their first-party data. I, I feel that, you know, with Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you know, sometimes being very um, difficult to deal with, sometimes asking artists to pay to reach their own targets, sometimes... Um, you know, displaying only a few percent of the messages to the fans. Um, 
it is not reliable as a communication channels with the super fans. So we thought that it was relevant to expand our mission and to um, offer artists a way to acquire first party data. So tools that they can put on their um, websites, socials, um, and these tools enable them essentially to acquire emails and phone numbers from the fans. Um, and then using Benzintown for artists as a way to manage this, um, uh, this first party data. So we, we launched, there's a new tab in Benzintown for artists called Fan Manager, uh, which within one dashboard helps artists manage their follower on Benzintown, which are, uh, as, a, as a reminder, is, is uh, they can reach directly without paying, and also their own opt-ins and phone number. And now uh, we are testing, and, and um, of course, any listener reaching out could get into this test. We're testing a new functionality, which goes even a step further, which is a, a free email platform. So <clears throat> once you acquire and build an audience, you can manage uh, your fans, engage them, um, you get lots of insights, by the way. Uh, but last but not least, um, we now offer a way to email them for free, which means that you can even upload the existing contacts you may have and use Benzintown as a full communication platform with the fans and essentially send the same message to your follower on Benzintown and to the emails that you may have acquired through different other channels. So we call it the fan relationship management suite because indeed it provides a free CRM platform to the, to the artists and their managers, um, fairly powerful with an audience built in because we obviously um, provide <clears throat> and, and let the artists message their followers for free from the same platform. Sounds amazing. Sounds uh, uh, it sounds very forward thinking, and, and fu it's funny because email is not the newest, latest thing. But the idea of building those relationships has been taken away from a lot of platforms, and so it's it's uh, it's almost like philosophically forward thinking in terms of like, well, what do we have to lose from from like reconstructing those relationships rather than continuing to be a you know like other tech companies that are creating a barrier. You know, in, in France. You say that to make a good soup, you have to use an old pan. Oh yeah, <laughs> like old pot. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I, I, I think that emails is yes, maybe a technology that is relatively old, but there's nothing better than emails to do a merch drop, to do an NFT drop, to do to to announce music, to do a music release or something special like pre-sale and anything that you want to find <clears throat> that you want to sell to the fans and certainly to the super fans go through emails. And I don't think it's going to go anywhere because, you know, mobile phones are the ideal platforms, obviously, uh, to check emails and use emails. We also offer, by the way, um, SMS and, and you know, uh, the offer the artist to capture phone numbers. But I, I'm a strong believer that uh, and we also offer, by the way, artists to add their pixels to capture first party data uh, using our tools. So between pixels, emails and phone numbers, we give artists the entire range of uh, marketing tools that they need 
to engage directly with their fans. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask you about some emerging use cases, some interesting stories about specific artists or tours that are using the tools. These tools, maybe other tools from bands in town. We will be right back. Whoa, the ideas are flying fast on this episode. If you want to follow up on anything we're talking about today, we've made it easy. Head over to musictectonics.com and find this episode on the podcast page. You'll see show notes full of links and a timestamped roadmap of the conversation. We're not responsible for internet rabbit holes you tumble down in the process. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Okay, we're back. So Fabrice, have you seen any new emerging use cases of Bands and Towns tools? Can you share some maybe specific artists or tours that have been creative and, and effective with their use of Bands and Town? Well, <clears throat> there is um, uh, there is there are lots of artists using Bands and Town for different use cases. And in fact, we love the way and when they uh, surprise us. Um, but technically, so with this new email platform that we just discussed, we we facilitate the promotion of merge drops. When I say that music release, so for music release, you can literally drag and drop your music links into an email. Um, for the tour promotion, because we have obviously the data, we all, you can also literally drag and drop your tour and the ticket links uh, into your email. So this 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 is this sounds fairly classic as a way to promote an artist. But I, I meant to, um, to say it because um, that's, that's, um, it's, it's, it's still quite of a challenge to, to build a strategy, a direct strategy like that. And, and so we, we see beautiful artists doing this. Now, yes, we, we also see artists promoting uh, NFT drops. That, that happens all the time now. They understand that Benz in town are the, you know, usually caters to the super fans and that obviously these NFT fans that are, the super fans are usually NFT fans as well mm. because they're interested in being a super fan. And how are you, or do you qualify for being a super fan as well? Because you always do more for the artist than your friends. <laughs> um, and you can claim you're a better fan or a super fan <laughs> because you, you went a step further. So having an NFT is a good way to to show fandom, and I, I think a lot of acts understood that. Um, now we we had um, also uh, more more recently um, a lot of um, situation when artists are doing um, like private live streams mm. and and different type of shows that they want to reserve to a certain group of fans. And that's another way to engage with fans, right? That's probably one of the benefits of the pandemic to getting back to live streams. More and more artists are definitely doing, uh, you know, some sort of a meet and greet and private live shows using live streams. And we, we, we promote a ton of these live streams. Um, the platform is specifically tailored to feature live streams. It specifically notifies fans 15 minutes before the show, huh. which is really critical to you know, essentially drive a grand engagement. And, and that's, a, that's a feature that we developed during the pandemic, but that is still very much used by the artists. Gotcha. Cool. So now this is the fun part. We have a feature on the show where we ask guests to get super sci-fi. What are the crazy ideas you expect to see in music tech in the next 
five to 10 years. I shouldn't even say music tech, music innovation in the music space. What futuristic stuff? I mean, we've already talked about NFTs, but what futuristic stuff gets you excited? I'm very excited by Web3 in general, and it goes way beyond NFTs. In fact, mm. I think NFTs are the tip of the iceberg. I'm fascinated by this, I think, very deep trend that will transform the world, not only music, but also the music, the world of music. Um, it's, it's a state of mind, right? It's really a state of mind that is, that is going to change the world. This state of mind is that decisions are made collectively, that there is, the, the power is back to, you know, the people who are involved. And if you apply that to music, you understand that the people who are involved are the fans. And so there's, there's a lot of opportunities to get the fans even more engaged, um, in the artist uh, uh, career, uh, where they might be able to invest in an artist, they might be able to um, invest in some in tours. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities to even for the fans to simply collect um, a piece of unique, a unique piece of art from 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 the artist, which is what what we see with NFTs today, but might be more sophisticated you know, tomorrow. So all of this are open opportunities to see and then like something that we never saw before that was that may have been dreamt of at the beginning of the internet, uh, what what they call the web one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and that never got realized because of the development of the web two, the web two literally killed the dream of web one. And now we're back to dreaming. And I love this this type of era. We're I think we're back to dreaming. Now, mm. at some point, dream and reality have to align. <laughs> but you know, if you dream big, there's the reality is, is should be should be greater. So the, that's so the, the the fantasy I have is to to see fans uh, support a tour prior to its announcement, um, or fans getting privilege because they are part of some sort of a virtual fandom that it's probably because they bought an NFT um, and, and get um, access to a, an artist's private lounge in the metaverse. Um, you know, if you use these tools like the Oculus and all these available tools, actually, it gives you a good sense of what it can be. But there's a lot of work to do, and, and, and we are really, really just at the beginning. I, I like that you think about it in terms of what the final end experience is, as opposed to getting too caught up in the technical details. Because we're at this moment where, um, you know, some of the tech isn't quite there yet, honestly, you know, or or at least the accessibility and the usability of it is not not quite there yet. But I also like that even though we're in this funny early stage of of bubbles and <laughs> dips in in the, this new technology you really see it as the spirit of creativity that's really what you emphasize was this 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 opportunity for the music industry to think in new ways instead of following formulas that have worked in the past yeah i i feel that um the challenge is always the ux and the way you deal with consumers. Um, I, I don't want to undermine the greatness and the complexity of these technologies. And I acknowledge indeed that some of them are not fully available and, and finished. But even if they were, um, 
this challenge would still be great on the product side to deliver an amazing product to consumers and to use these technologies appropriately. So I'm telling, I'm telling the audience and, and you, that there's no limit to technology. Don't worry. There's, there's hopefully no limit to dreams. The question is how you connect the two is like, how do you make use technology to make a great product that is functional, um, easy to use, easy to understand, not too expensive for the fans. I remember when Apple launched its first iPhone, I mean, they didn't, they didn't call it iPhone in partnership with Motorola. It was a disaster. Uh, maybe nobody. I, d I didn't know about that. <laughs> It was it was a disaster. Um, it has nothing to do in terms of form factor with an iPhone. It was a partnership between Apple and Motorola, and at the end of the day, it was a Motorola phone. <laughs> nothing, no, no pun intended, but still, <laughs> it was it was not an iPhone. Um, so to do a great product, it's uh, it takes a lot of imagination and time and refinement, and I, I think that's what Web three today. Um, uh, bears is a lot of promises and i think the technology is there but there's so much work to do in terms of applications and the way you deliver it to consumers yeah gotcha so you've been so generous even though the live music scene is exploding you've taken a lot of time away from your day-to-day -to, -day to talk to us before i let you go fabrice we love to tap our um our our guests for recommendations to help them on their music innovation paths are there any final shout outs you'd like to make any cool companies you've seen books you're reading tech that you're keeping an eye out that we haven't talked to talked about uh this is this is a chance before we wrap it up well i i think that um I, i'm very um I want to shout out to my friend, uh, John V, who was running music at Roblox. Mm -hmm. his, his, uh, his impact on the entire ecosystem is, is quite significant. He managed to uh, prototype and, and not more than that, uh, put on stage uh, artists in the virtual world at a scale that nobody else did it before. And, that's, um, and I think it's, it's always helpful if you want to um, see success stories that are happening at scale in a complete different paradigm because it's it, it's inspiration for entire generation and for, for it's it's important for people to visualize what this can be or can become and he was definitely the pioneer in this and I'm I'm super I know he's transitioning but uh, yeah that's that's my shout out for today awesome John V is awesome and I, and I agree we've had him on the podcast and at Music Tectonics. Um, events. Uh, and uh, I mean, he's a dad. I'm a dad. Anyone who has kids who are on Roblox <laughs> know <laughs> that he has had an impact. I can talk to John on a podcast and then I can talk to my kid who's on Roblox and find out similar information. My, my child was starting to give me updates about anything going on on Roblox related to, to music, you know, activations, controversies, everything. So yeah. that's a great shout out. I appreciate that. So Fabrice, if anyone wants to connect with you in bands in town, what, what should they do? What's the link or the, the contact? Well, they should. Uh, they, they, it's absolutely okay to to contact me, Fabrice at benzintown.com. I'm always I always like direct access, and and then if there's a support question or um, like more uh, technical questions, we have support at Benzintown for sure for the artist or for the fans. Awesome! This has been a blast to have you back on the podcast. I hope I get to see you at a show sometime. 
I'd love to, Dimitri. Thank you very much for everything you do and for this great podcast. I appreciate you and I appreciate you having me today. Thank you. Be safe. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.